Hello, everyone. It's great to worship with you, even if it's by computer screen. And uh, just as a reminder, if you joined us after the gathering began, uh, today's topic, as we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we've hit a text that really hits to the heart of who we are as men and women. Today, we're going to be having a conversation that's more for our middle schoolers and up, but we'll let you decide. So if you have young ones with you and you're not ready to have a conversation about marriage and commitment and faithfulness and other words I don't want to say yet, you may want to either find something for your kids to do or simply you as an adult watch this gathering uh, later on on our YouTube channel. I'm not sure if you're ready to have those conversations. This is important, but I wouldn't want you to be surprised mid-sentence like, whoa, why didn't anyone warn me? That being said, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, let's just read the text. We're going to start and we're going to continue in uh, Matthew 5 and we'll start in verse uh, 27. All right, Matthew 5, 27. You have he heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than let your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So if I'll just pause for a second. Maybe you have some young ones you may want to figure out our kids video for. Okay, here we go. Jesus, adultery, lust, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, amp cut off your hand, amputate, and by the, well, uh, by the way, the risk is hell. What do we do with this? What in the world is Jesus up to? Here's the beauty of reading the Bible when you read it. Every sentence, every paragraph, every statement needs to be thought about in light of what's around it. The fancy word is context, right? You, well, we all know. Just look at social media posts today. You have people who make a statement and end up having to resign, oftentimes because people didn't look at the context. They just took one line of what someone said. And even if it wasn't the best statement, if you don't listen to the whole speech, see the whole post, know the whole story, people come to conclusions. And the same thing with Jesus. When you read this at first, you think like, man, we are all dead. Straight up. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully is committed adultery, guilty, end of story, it's over. And, and when you read this, especially if you're not yet following Jesus, you think of good reasons to not follow Jesus. Because like, whoa, this seems impossible. Well, let's look at the whole frame of what Jesus is up to before we look at what is adultery and let's define lust and where it takes us. Remember, this is an entire message that starts with blessing. Jesus has said, I'm announcing good news. God has come in the Son, Jesus. And in Jesus, we can live under God's good rule. And it begins with these blessings, these beatitudes. Blessed are you. Those of us who have a relationship with God through Jesus, we're walking in God's blessings. We're salt and we're light. And we get to represent God to this world. We know him, we walk with him. All of that is the context. So because we have this beautiful relationship with God now, what is it 
mean and what does it look like to live as God's people? So what Jesus does is he takes what they know. They know God's words because God's already spoken to his people. He's spoken to the nation of Israel. He's given the 10 commandments, which is the beginning of the 613 commandments, that when you look at all these, what we call laws, they're the framework. They're the framework that we would know what is God like? What does God want? What, are our, what is our bent? Where do we go off? And how do we get back? And when you look at all the law, it's, it's this framework to say, this is what relationship with God looks like. This is how we're gonna love him and we're gonna love one another. In that, Jesus uses six examples right here in this message. And we're looking at the second one. We already looked at murder and anger. And that was like the prototype to see what Jesus is getting at. The law is clear. Don't murder. Don't do the act. But Jesus says, well, there's more than just the act. Anger left unchecked when we think and we act and we live and we respond to anger, it's going to lead us to judgment. So we took a few weeks, given our world context and our nation's context, to look at specifically how do we walk in forgiveness? How do we work towards reconciliation? But now we're going to move to the second one of the six. And Jesus talks about adultery and he talks about lust. And the example is, you have heard it said, and then he quotes from the Ten Commandments. You, uh, you shall not commit adultery. And what he's going to do in every single one of these laws is, is say what God has said still stands and is good. This is the path to life. Now, before we talk about how we often break and get out of line with God's heart, let's just first look at why. Why is Jesus emphatic and why does Jesus affirm that you and I should not commit adultery? So often we look at the bad and we forget the good. The reason for the law is because God's plan is the better way. And what is God's plan? Well, in order to do that, like I've said, and I'll be like a broken record here, you can see the trajectory of the whole Bible if you read Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. You see exactly what the whole story is all about and where God is leading. And if you look back at Genesis 2, and we'll look at verse uh, 20, we see God's vision for what relationships ought to look like and how we're called to thrive. It says, but uh, for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. And that is why, uh, and this is really key, verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And verse 25, we'll just round it out. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt, they felt no shame. What is the good? Uh, when God creates men and women, we see like the Genesis, the beginning of the human race, uh, these, aren't inner, these aren't like separate 
uh, entities. They're both human. They're both connected at the deepest level. That's what the whole thing about the rib is about, is that they're not like totally foreign things, like a raccoon is one thing and a bird is something totally different. Men and women are, are brought from the same source. God makes man and God makes woman, and they're meant to be connected. They're, the interplay there is like even in the body and the way that women's formed, you know, and, and even in childbirth now, like children come out of the woman, there's a deep connection. And they're both given a gender. And this isn't very popular, especially in today's, uh, in the Pacific Northwest and in America, really in the world, to say it. But in the beginning, he creates two gendered beings. Like there's man and there's woman. And they're, they're not the same. And they're meant to be united. And what we get is this phrase, one flesh. Just in the same way that God creates man in his image, he makes woman in his image and this is what it's supposed to look like. God, the creator, with two different people. God leading these to two totally different people. A man is not a woman and a woman is not a man. Just look at the biology. We are very different. But yet in, in God's blessing, what he says is this is what, it won't happen for everyone. We look at the Bible, not everyone is married in the Bible. But there is a point where a man could come together with a woman and they become, in God's sight, one flesh. God working in and through these two people for something beautiful. So here's what happens. Marriage, which is God's gift. It's not, it's not our design. We didn't make this up. It's not just a social construct, no matter what all sociologists and anthropologists might try to tell you that human beings made this up. If you believe in the biblical vision, you see that this was God's intention. God does the work, brings men and women together, and out of their relationship with God and each other, life comes. It's totally unique. We think that this is so obvious, but sometimes we, we miss the blessing. The result of a man and a woman living in an in a agreement, a covenant relationship, one with one for life, comes life. Because later, Adam and Eve give birth to Cain and to Abel, and the human race continues. This is God's vision. This is God's good. This is God's goal. This is God's heart. So while it may seem, if you look at the Christian message and you read the statements of Jesus, like, man, who wants to follow Jesus? This vision for life where there's one man and one woman for life, that sounds like impossible. It sounds boring. It, it sounds restrictive. If you look at it that way, you're missing the heart and the goodness of God. Marriage is meant to be a gift, not just to produce other humans, but to create an environment where God can lead and guide and there's beauty. So, so they eat together and they sleep together and they have sex together and all of that is good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And within God's framework, marriage is meant to be this beautiful blessing of not just, hear me, not just a man and a woman for life, but a man and a woman with God. That's God's intention. Now, we know that that's broken down, right? But this is the biblical vision. Now, why is sex, sex such a big deal? Well, we need to remember that sex is good. People go to Jesus' statement and say, man, you can't do this, you can't do that, and all these restrictions. Well, sex is good in its, in its direct relationship between a man and a woman. And these two different people are are brought together for pleasure, not just child rearing, because even after you have kids, the joy of sex is supposed to be a part of, of the human relationship. And this is the most intimate 
act, if you think about it, it's not to be, it's not to be experienced in public. It's supposed to be experienced between the one man and the woman, one woman. And the joy within that, it, it should be a part of the human experience and it's definitely to be celebrated in the Christian experience. And side note, because we talk about this so infrequently, usually all you get is the don't do this, don't do that, gouge your eye, cut off your hand. But sometimes if we miss the larger story of the Bible and the larger story of God, we'll miss the heart. God wants us to flourish and to experience the joy of sex in the right way. Now, not everyone's going to get married. And that's celebrated in the Bible as well. You don't have to get married. As a matter of fact, Paul says, in light of Jesus, I wish most of you didn't get married so that you could focus on doing Jesus's work and give your full commitment to him. But that's not for everyone. If you get married, that's a beautiful gift. So whether you're single or you are married, both are blessings and they come with responsibilities. So there is a word to those who are single on how to live a pure life to God and be devoted to him. And to those who are married, there are clear words as well. Okay, all that is to what is adultery then? Well, adultery is when you bring someone in, right, who is an outsider to this one flesh relationship. That's what adultery is. Whenever someone else is inserted, it's supposed to be God and one man and one woman for life. And when you bring anyone or anything into the middle of that, that's the essence of adultery. And it's seen in the Bible as a violation of the beautiful thing that God wants to do. Now, that sounds negative. Let's put it in the positive. To not commit adultery is to live faithful. What, what does God want? God wants us to be faithful to him, just like he's faithful to us, and faithful to our covenant partner, our spouse. That's God's heart. Nothing new here, right? But the vision could be seen as a negative and restrictive, but rather for the Jesus follower, this is God's pathway. Now, hear me, you don't have to follow God. Just let that sit in. You don't have to follow God. Oh, oh but by the way, when God in his love shares the way to thrive and you disregard God, you get what you're desiring. So when Jesus is given these strong words and warnings about hell, what he's not trying to do is say, everyone's going to be sent to hell if, everyone, if you do this, or you do that, do the other. What he's saying is, hell is the place for people who get what they desire when they don't desire me. And so God's very real warning about a terrible place is not God saying like, man, if you do this one thing, I'm going to send you. But think about it. the path to destruction is available. The path to life and flourishing is available. God's been clear. So no one can say to God, well, you didn't tell me. What, what Jesus is saying in his love is this is if you want to live under God's good rule, you want to be my follower and live under God's good rule. There's pleasure, there is joy, there is beauty in relationship with him and in relationship with someone else. And here are the guidelines to beauty. If you commit adultery, you're going to end up getting what you wanted and more. And so here's the real warning from Jesus. Look at what he says again, verse 21. Let's just look at it. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. So Jesus affirms it. 
whenever you bring someone into the middle of a one man, one woman relationship for life, what you're gonna get is all sorts of distortions of the good thing that God is trying to do. The act of adultery is gonna destroy, it's gonna destroy trust, it's gonna destroy the beauty of what this couple had. Now, that's obvious. I don't think, I think most of us would say, yeah, when a man and a woman commit themselves one to another for life, when someone breaks that trust, it has all sorts of ripple effects. Uh, we, we know that. What Jesus is saying, though, is it's more than just the act. Wow. This is where it gets challenging and where Jesus even raises the bar out of love. He's telling us, like he did with murder. Okay, you don't murder anyone? Great. What about anger? Anger is going to lead you to a place of judgment. It leads to a place of pain and hurt. So, of course, avoid mur murder. Think about your anger. In the same way, he does the same thing with this second law. Of course, adultery, of course, someone cheating on a spouse is gonna cause pain. Oh, but if you think in the kingdom of God, it's not just about doing the act, like stepping in the middle of a marriage and saying, well, I'm gonna introduce myself is gonna be hurtful. What about what happens in the mind and in the heart? What happens when we think that way and Jesus is giving a beautiful warning to his followers. Life under God's good rule means matters of the heart need to be dealt with. What does he say? Verse 28, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in the heart. Someone who looks at a woman lustfully, and that's to be really clear here. What does it mean to look upon a woman lustfully? We only have the word like look, right? But we also have other words like in English that we could use to describe a different kind of look. When we read look here, we think, like, okay, so if I glance at someone who's beautiful or handsome, attractive, and my mind like, wow, okay, I've already committed adultery. Well, in, in English, we could use a different word. We could use the word stare. You, know, you look at someone, beautiful. But then you can go from look to, man, and then I can't take my eyes off of them. And then the, like my mind really starts rolling. That's not the same thing. A glance is one thing, but you could actually translate this. Whoever keeps on looking with the goal of lusting. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about a glance. You can't help but see beauty in God's world. God created beauty and recognize that and say, wow, amazing. And to find a moment of attraction, that's one thing. But Jesus says, when you stare, when you look and look and look with the goal in your heart to lust for what is not yours, you need to be careful. That's that's the heart of adultery, adultery in the heart. And so Jesus is going beyond just the action to say, my people and life in my kingdom and life under my good rule means that we check, we check the heart. Now, what happens when sexuality is distorted? We already saw the vision, one man, one woman for life in marriage. That's covenant, that's agreement. And you go to a wedding, and no matter what the frivolous stuff, whether you do a, a candle or this or that, or you do music or none, whether it's fancy or simple outdoors, indoors, in the end, a Christian wedding is about a, a covenant relationship and making an agreement before God to invite God 
to come in and unite this couple as one, right? Well, what happens when we see distortions? And it's not just one distortion that you see. Think about it. Let's, let's delve into it. Uh, sexual abuse. Okay, sex is a gift from God and it produces life and it does produce joy and it does produce, produce um, emotional and physical um, stimulation, right? All this is good. But every one of us would agree that when someone sexually abuses someone is is that good? When someone says, I'm gonna fulfill my sexual desire at your expense, we'd all agree. And the wounds of sexual abuse do not go away quickly, even for the Jesus Father. So sexuality is beautiful and it's a gift, but it can be distorted. Let's think about just sexual use. When, when we treat our body like an animal, and just say, I have desire, and so the greatest thing I can do is fulfill my desire. That is one way of viewing the world. As a matter of fact, that is the way uh, our culture says we should view the world. If you look at media, uh, TV, film, print, you just look at the trajectory of commercials, everything else, the, the most prominent message today is you need to be you. And the greatest way to be you is to fulfill whatever is your desire. Now, don't harm someone. You know, don't abuse someone. But whatever you want, you get it. And when you fulfill that desire, that is the ultimate goal of the human experience. That is one vision of treating your life and your body. Can I just say, if you follow that vision, you will get what you desire. And what you desire is good, but guess what? If you use your body to fulfill your sexual desires and sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, disregarding God's vision of commitment, one man, one woman for, for life, you'll get the pleasure of the moment and you could get hell on earth. You could get what God's trying to keep you from, which is pain, which is the feeling of loneliness, which is the feeling of hurt and a, a, a deep connection with someone that you have no long-term commitment with. And guess what? The scars. Look, I'm not talking theory. I have sat down with too many people who look back on their life with absolute regret because they treated their body outside of God's design. So you will get what you want. The, the challenge is Jesus is screaming some of what you want is going to be painful. And I'm trying to spare you from regret. And so what we need to do is evaluate all of our desires with God's heart. And Jesus is saying, adultery is not just the act of coming in between a couple. And maybe you haven't cheated in that way. But watch your heart. Because if you're not careful, you're going to allow a pathway that's going to lead to regret and judgment and pain. Think about sexual perversion. We have an entire industry. It's the first time in all of human history that we have a multi-billion dollar industry just in the U.S. alone that's dedicated to get you to look at people doing sexual acts so that you could experience pleasure with no commitment, which is the essence of porn. It's that rather than being human beings created in the image of God, uh, to enjoy sexuality, nakedness with no shame, why don't, why don't I watch you do something that's pleasurable so in that sense I can fulfill my own pleasure 
when I don't even know you. And by the way, all of it is based on human beings being animals. Animals. Toys that I get to use for my good pleasure. The, now, the industry is just feeding on, hear me, they're feeding on lust-filled desires. There would be no industry if our hearts weren't bent towards sexual fulfillment outside of God's plan. So the danger of, of porn is it, it totally masks God's heart. And so rather than waiting for God to give me that person for life, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to fulfill my desires, disregarding and cheapening everyone I'm watching because they're no longer human, created in the image of God for this beautiful relationship that will produce life. They are just toys that I'm supposed to use and get to use, and who cares about them? You know what's really important? It's me. Now, no one would say that. Friend, nobody's saying that. But you know what? The actions speak for themselves. And so, am I talking to you? Guess what? I am talking to everyone. I'm talking to me. Jesus' heart, and he's saying, now, I told you, he's going to get in our face. What Jesus is saying is, there's a beautiful pathway. There's a beautiful way to live. Walk in my beautiful way. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Now, Jesus is not saying the effect is going to be the same. Just like with murder, there is a higher cost, like just in our culture, when you murder someone than when you act out of anger. But they both lead towards judgment. And so, yes, like adultery, the act of adultery is going to have deeper consequences. But what Jesus is saying is, here's the beautiful thing, because he's come to be our leader and our Lord, he wants to clean us and free us from the action, the overt murder, the overt adultery, but also he wants to clean us and cause us to live holy deep within so that my heart and what's going on in my mind is right before God, not just the action. So the effect of lust, the repercussions of lust may not be as overtly seen as with adultery, but Jesus is saying, my way, my beautiful way is to clean you and make you whole in your soul, in your mind, and in the way that you live. And, and, and here's the warning. Jesus says that lust is going to lead you on a path towards the act of adultery. And you just think about it especially anyone who has been caught in the cycle of images. Images lead to actions. And actions lead to more actions. And so if you haven't committed the act yet, Jesus is saying, I've come to free you from the heart because very few people that I have spoken to who've ended up with a, with a mess up in their relationship because of adultery, as a matter of fact, I can't think of one where it was out of like, you know what? I just decided to cheat on my spouse. It usually, when you peel the layers of the onion, it started in the heart, it started with a look, and a look became a stare, and a stare became a fantasy, and a fantasy became a reality. And Jesus is saying it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. So lust matters. Verse 28, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman stares at. One last note, and then we'll look at Jesus's actual action plan? Notice who he's talking to. Verse 28, who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in the heart. Who's Jesus talking to? Well, we don't know, but we know from 
from Matthew 4 that Jesus went around talking to men and women. So we're going to assume Jesus is talking to a mixed audience here of men and women, young and old and rich and poor. He's speaking to a, a large group, but he addresses the men. I never noticed this before. Been looking at it this time, it's like, He's talking to the men. Does this mean that women don't deal with lust and women don't commit adultery? No, absolutely not. But I think here's Jesus' beautiful vision. In the kingdom of God, right, men are not going to treat women like objects of pleasure. And men are going to rise up and are going to create an environment where women are treated as sisters, as mothers, as respected, as loved. And in the church, women can feel safe that they're not going to be objects of my own lust and my own distortion. And in an environment where men are living this way, and it's true, men and women both struggle with porn, men and women both struggle with lust. But I think that Jesus gets to the root of it. And the root of it is often Men have a distorted view and a distorted, a, a need for visual stimulation and a need to see things. And men just in the brain are often more graphic and men are probably quicker to jump into lust over images than ladies. Okay, you can debate on that, but I think Jesus is hitting the heart. He's saying, if men will walk with God and men will submit their sexuality to Jesus, then women will feel safe to be nurtured and loved and seen as equal right, in the kingdom of God. And this could be a picture when men treat women in the proper way, could be a picture against our cultural vision, which says anyone does what anyone wants and guys, go for it. Do whatever feels good. Oh, obviously don't violate someone, but you can treat women. And you think about the sex trade today. And, and I would have to say that men are more guilty of propagating. I'm not saying that women are involved as well and women don't go in that path as well. But I'm saying that if, if guys would get their act together and follow Jesus seriously, we would live in a different world. All right, email me, text me, whatever you can debate. I think Jesus is on point. May it begin with men. And may we submit humbly our lives to Jesus and then I think it would be a model for the next generation to say, you know what? Not only is porn destroying lives, there is a vision where men and women come under the allegiance of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit are set free. Now, what does Jesus say to all of us wrestling with it? Look at his solution. It's quite extraordinary. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown in, into hell. He's using an example here, just like he did with murder and anger. Extreme language on purpose. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, uh, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one pot, part of your body. What is he talking about? The phrase here is hyperbole. He is not saying you should physically got gouge your eye out and you should physically cut your hand off. Why? Uh, because frankly, you can lust without your right hand and you can lust without your right eye. So he's speaking in vivid language to say, what we need to do is be serious about this. What we need to do is be intentional. Remember back to murder and anger. What is the role of the Jesus follower? It's to not be passive with our anger, but to be proactive 
and to intentionally engage towards forgiveness and reconciliation in the same way that with our sexuality. When it comes to human relationships, we take the initiative. And what Jesus is saying here is you don't need a Band-Aid. We need, we need serious, proactive intentionality if we're gonna live as Jesus's people and thrive and model to the world that Jesus has a, a, a better way. So what does this mean for us? If it's a magazine or a website or an app, cut it out. Like absolutely be intentional in your response to following Jesus to say, Jesus, I believe that your vision is the better vision. And what I'm gonna do is, is because I know where lust will lead me, you've been honest about that, that the stair is gonna lead me down a pathway that will take me towards hell, which, which is simply the contrast, the opposite of heaven is God's space and hell is the absence of God's space. So I don't wanna be far from you, God. So in order to live as your follower, I, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. If it's a store or a place that you're gonna go, avoid it. If it, Whatever it is, if it's a show, if it's a channel, if it's Hulu, if it's Netflix, if it's Prime, whatever it is, get rid of it, is what Jesus, I'm, I'm, don't look at me. Well, actually, look at me, you're watching a screen, but don't, don't point the finger at me. This is the heart of God. I'm just simply trying to vocalize what Jesus is saying is the way of life. So Jesus is saying desire alone isn't the problem. To desire sexual satisfaction is a gift of God. But Jesus' people, what he is saying, are gonna walk in the framework of blessing. And the framework of blessing is marriage. And the framework of blessing is sex satisfied with your marriage partner. And everything outside of that, you're gonna get what you desire and more. So if you go that path, don't be surprised when you feel empty and don't be surprised when the relationship melts down. Don't be surprised when it leads to divorce. Oh, by the way, Jesus is gonna follow this conversation next. And we'll look at it next week with marriage and divorce. So how do we live faithful to Jesus in our lust-saturated society? A couple of thoughts, and then I invite you to talk this through because this is not just your issue, it is everyone watching. It's all of our issue. Four things. Number one, recognize that our society is sharing a different vision. Our culture is telling another story, and we need to remember that. So while Jesus has a vision, so does our culture. And if this seems very different, it's because it is. And our culture's vision, hear me, is being propagated by the enemy of God. And so our culture just didn't get a vision. The thief, Jesus said, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you would have life, life in abundance to the full. So there is a vision in our culture, which is seen in our media, which is propagated in our schools, and it's in our curriculum. That vision is a real vision. Just know that the source of that vision is Satan, the devil. It is not God's vision. So what we need to do, the first thing is to Remind ourselves of God's beautiful vision and share God's beautiful vision. Second thing, run from temptation. Run from it. Uh, Paul says it in his letters, flee sexual immorality. Flee, run. So part of our challenge is we don't believe or know God's vision. We need to start there. But then we need to act on God's vision. You know what it means to act on God's vision? Cut out, gouge out. Be radical in our approach. If we take the soft approach, whether it's to 
porn or activity, if we, if we hug it a little bit, if we toy with it just a little bit, here's what's gonna happen. It's like arsenic, one swallow, and it just infects the whole body. It affects everything. And so Jesus is saying, I've given you a path towards freedom. The, the path towards freedom is to be radical in your approach to live the way of Jesus. Third thing, lean on the presence of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Jose, I, I am like, oh, I, I have so much desire. Yeah, join the club. We all do. Here's what we do have, and we need to remind ourselves. We have the presence of God. Not out there, right here. If you're a Jesus follower, lean on the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit is with you always. Jesus said, I'm going to never leave you. I'm going to never forsake you. And he said, I'm going to send you the comforter. He's going to be with you and in you, even the spirit of truth. And the spirit of the truth is going to remind you of everything I've said. And so what we can do as Jesus followers is we can get God's vision. We can be radical in our heart's approach to follow him and then lean on the power of the spirit. You can't defeat lust in the power of the human flesh. You can try, you just can't do it. But guess what? We can gain victory in Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is always faithful to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is always in line with the Word of God. So guess what? You and I can choose to feed ourselves, the voice of the Holy Spirit or every other voice. And then finally, and all of these are connected, lean on your community for prayer and practical help. God has put us in a family. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to 14. No temptation has overcome you except which is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. Guess what the way out is? Other people. Don't try to fight this battle alone. Maybe the first step is to be open with someone else about what's going on in your own soul. Let's open up. Unfortunately, this is a dialogue that has felt very unsafe for the church because the moment you share what's really going on the inside, you're making yourself vulnerable. But can we grow as a church? 26 West, if you're watching this from outside of our community, all this is true, but I just want to speak to you in our church. Can we learn to grow and be open and honest enough within smaller groups of people? Maybe it's with people within your 26 West community group. Maybe it's one other person within this church that you have relationship and love and trust. Can we grow to become a people where we can talk about real things without feeling guilty and judged? Because guess what? If you're human, you're wrestling with lust. If you're a guy, it's a thousand percent guarantee this is, this is our daily struggle. But we can find victory in the will of God, the word of God. We can find victory when we commit ourselves to be radical in our discipleship to Jesus. We can, we can find victory in the Holy Spirit and we can find victory in the family of God doing this together. All right, two questions and I'm done. Are we taking the initiative? That's my question to you. Are we taking the initiative? Are you taking the initiative or are you going with your desires? If you have the Holy Spirit, your deepest desires is God's desires because you have the Spirit within you, but that's not your only desire. So whose desires are driving you? Your desires or the Spirit's desires? You can take the initiative. Are you? 
And the second question is, are you willing to take radical steps of obedience? Radical steps. It may be, it may be going from a smartphone to a stupid phone. It may be going to old tech or no tech because tech is drawing you in. Whatever it takes, guess what? The Spirit will enable you to follow the words of Jesus if you're willing to be radical in your approach to it. And this seems harsh, and I apologize if my tone has been harsh. That is not my heart. Uh, what we have is the grace of the Lord Jesus to guide us through. So let's invite Jesus by the power of the Spirit to pour out his grace. If you have failed, which is all of us, guess what? His grace is enough for you. But now God wants to bring us to full victory. So his grace is enough to wipe away every sin. But Jesus wants to set us in the right trajectory and the right trajectory to wholeness is gonna require radical steps of obedience. What are those steps for you? Guess what? I don't have to tell you. The Holy Spirit's in you to guide you to the truth of Jesus. So let's call on him, Lord, the Holy Spirit. We're inviting you now to see our lust-filled hearts and minds. And Jesus, we've heard your warning as good news. This is good news. You don't want us to live destroyed lives. You don't want our relationships to be wrecked. You don't want us to live with regret. You want us to live whole. And so Holy Spirit of God, thank you for awakening us to the different vision our culture is sharing. Thank you for reminding us, Holy Spirit, that there's a better way. And now Holy Spirit, empower each one of your children, men and women, young and old, to now live in your way and take the radical steps to avoid evil and to live in the good. Lord, help us, empower us, enable us day by day, moment by moment to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.